Thank you all for coming tonight. My topic that I'm going to come from tonight is how much passion is in your pursuit of Christ. And most of us have been in a relationship or two where the one we wanted didn't want us back or wasn't willing to run after us the way we wish they would. We stood there giving of ourselves, making promises of our greatness and what we had to offer in hopes to convince the other that we were worth being pursued. Remember the pain that came when you realized that the other found you inadequate and not worthy of the time and the effort. In essence, the other's action says that I don't want you like that. I don't want you for my lover, friend, confidant, etc. And this is what we have done to Christ. He has listed and proved himself. He has said what he would do for us if we would only take him. Our behavior say to him, I don't want you like that. You can bless me, you can keep me from hell, but other than that, I'm cool with you. You want too much Jesus, in essence, is what we're saying. I can, or more accurately, I am not willing to pursue you. But not until we passionately pursue God will we ever find him. Jesus will never be the Jesus that he says he is in the Bible. We will never know him like that until we chase after him. We must ask ourselves, why don't we want Jesus like that? Why do I only want a piece of him when he is offering the fullness of himself? Is it because your way has proven so wonderful and you have no need of a savior for the extras? Is it because you just don't believe he is who he says he is? Or is it that he requires you, as you think, too much to give him what he asks for? So instead of the fight and the struggle, you stay with your own resources, even though they have proven to be inadequate. Change is what is required to meet God. Change is needed to be in an intimate relationship with God. Change is what we don't want to do. We want to stay the same, and we expect God to be okay with that. But God says he is the same. Yesterday, today, forevermore, and he changes not. So since the God of the universe, the God of creation, isn't changing, it is we who must do the changing. Are you willing to change to have him? Now, I'm not gonna act like change isn't hard. Change is one of the hardest things we have to do. But it takes passion and it takes force. But when we see what is at the finish line, the force and the passion proves worth it. We have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone and have a little struggle. And at this time, I'm not talking about the finish line being just heaven, though we will attain that too if we do the right thing. But I'm talking about us having this intimate relationship with God now, living this life with this peace and 
contentment and value that we all want, but we seem to always miss. Because if we always just concentrate on eternal life and we live just with the fear of hell or the pleasure of heaven, we miss the whole journey in between. And I think that God wanted us to explore the journey. I think he wanted us to have a little gratitude and a little fun before we get to heaven. So what I wanna do is look at a couple of characters in the Bible and see what they were willing to do to find Jesus. Now you guys know I generally come with nothing new. Same old stories we've been talking about for many, many years, but um, they always seem interesting now. So, you know, I'll go with it. For the two, I'm gonna deal with blind men. And the Gospels give a different account of what took place. Same story, but Matthew gives both men, Mark gives just one man, and Luke gives just one. So turn to Matthew 20 and 29. And I'm gonna read from the message translation so it'll be a little different. It says, as they were leaving Jericho, a huge crowd followed. Suddenly they came upon two blind men sitting alongside the road. When they heard it was Jesus passing, they cried out, Master, have mercy on us. Mercy, son of David. The crowd tried to hush them up, but they got all the louder, crying, Master, have mercy on us. Mercy, son of David. Jesus stopped and called them over. What do you want from me? They said, Master, we want our eyes opened. We want to see. Deeply moved, Jesus touched their eyes. They had their sight back that very instant and joined the procession. If you turn to Mark 10, 46 through 52. They spent some time in Jericho. As Jesus was leaving town, trailed by his disciples in a parade of people, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting alongside the road. When he heard that Jesus the Nazarene was passing by, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me. Many tried to hush him up, but he yelled all the louder, Son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped in his tracks, called him over. They called him, it is your lucky day. Get up, he's calling you to come. Throwing off his coat, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what can I do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. On your way, said Jesus, your faith has saved and healed you. In that very instant, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus down the road. So what can we take from them? One was that they had a condition that was completely out of their control. Their condition not only blinded them physically, but caused them to be impoverished as well. They were considered by most to be almost less than human. Just think of how we react when we see the homeless and them begging. We're not really that friendly. We won't even look at them, give them eye contact. And we barely acknowledge their existence. This is the life these men lived. So let's make this fit us. Many of us were birthed into conditions that we had no control over. These conditions blinded us to real love and relationships. Many have never known what it is to truly be loved, and this has made us ill-equipped in our quest for love 
to get it and to give it back. And even though many of us have received the Holy Spirit and have been baptized in Jesus' name, we remain spiritually blind. We are unaware of our provisions, so we live a very impoverished life. But many of us are ashamed of our spiritual poverty, that we act as if we're blessed when we believe it's all a lie. So we get up with the cliches and the anecdotes and the stuff that makes us feel good, but we don't really believe it anyway, so it has no effect. If we just use the story of Bartimaeus, we can learn a lot about the passion in his pursuit. Verse 47, he says, when he heard that Jesus the Nazarene was passing by, he began to cry out, son of David, Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me. Now he didn't even know where he would be, because he can't see. He just figured he should just keep yelling until the man walked by. Many tried to hush him up, but he yelled all the louder, son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. This wasn't a formal meeting. He wasn't really prepared to come and meet Jesus. He just heard he was coming to town and thought maybe he should throw out his affliction to get Jesus' attention. So what's our excuse? We orchestrate meetings all week long, all month, year long, and we fail to come and call out to Jesus. He begged God to have mercy on him. We have the nerve to come and act like we don't need him. We don't need his mercy. We already got it all taken care of. Remember, we're the blessed and highly favored crowd. Hmm. Too concerned with looking impoverished, we miss the opportunity to get healed and delivered. Now notice the posture of the crowd. When we admit how impoverished we are and how in need of help we are, people want to hush us. People will try to muzzle you and get you not to scream when the, to the very one who can heal you. And we've bought into this. We've bought into having shame over our needs. We've bought into not having it all together, though we claim we're saved. We feel like we got, got the Jesus and everything didn't work out, but we don't wanna say something's missing. That I've been trying to walk this walk and do this thing for so long and I'm still missing it. So we come in and we fake it and we try to act like we're happy and content and we got it together and we know the Lord. And if I can just come to another service, if I can pray just another hour, if I can read just one more text, somehow it's all gonna work out. But we miss the stuff in the Bible that tells us that we need to scream out for Jesus to hear us. Not that he doesn't know, but he's waiting for you to yell. Because our behavior tells him, I don't really need you. I can work this by myself. So why should he run to our aid? Hmm. But watch Bartimaeus, he screamed louder. You trying to hush me? That's gonna make me just scream a little louder. You embarrassed because I got a problem? I ain't even screaming for you, what you mad about? I mean, I'm not talking to you, why are you trying to hush me up? But when I admit I got needs, when I admit that I've messed up and I've missed it, 
and my walk with Christ hasn't been what I hoped it would have been, it shines light on other people. So it makes them start questioning. You know what, she kind of, mm, I feel the same way. Well, I feel a little embarrassed to say it, but foot, this ain't been working out the way I hoped. You know, I've been doing this for a couple of years now, and still I ain't met Jesus. Not the one who he said he was, the healer, the deliverer. Why haven't I met that one? But you haven't met that one because you're not screaming in the street to get that one's attention. Hmm. So 49, it says, Jesus stopped in his tracks and said, call him over. They called him. It's your lucky day. Get up. He's calling you to come. Throwing off his coat, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. Now, if you look at Jesus' response, the moment he heard them crying out, he calls them over. In essence, Jesus is saying, I hear your cry. Come here and let me help you. All we got to do is cry. But what did Bartimaeus do before he came to Jesus? He threw off his coat so that he could run. Hebrews 12 and 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. At times God is calling us, but we have so many things on us that we can't even run to him. We are running blind and burdened down and we wonder why we keep missing our visitation. We refuse to throw off our stuff and run to Christ. So we stay blind and impoverished. My question is how is that working for you? Now look at Jesus again. He says, what can I do for you? And I love this because it's as if Jesus doesn't know what these people need. But he is asking because he wants to give you what you ask for. He wants to see if you're going to be honest enough to say the real need. Or are you going to play the game? We miss getting our true healing because we're too afraid to ask for the real stuff. God prefers to grant the deep stuff, and we keep staying on the superficial level. The blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. Now, many of us would have just said, can you relieve the poverty? Nah, I'll go blind. We can have a place to stay at least. A little food in my tummy. Ask God for spiritual eyes to view the things of God. Sight will help us navigate through the traps of Satan. But we have become so blinded by this world, by religion, by others, that we don't see nothing. And we wonder why we keep running into the same wall over and over and over again. He says, on your way, your faith has saved and healed you. Because he believed God could do it is why he got healed. We want to believe that just blind faith, just saying, I know I could, somehow something could work out, is going to do the trick. But we're not believing in the one who will make it happen. So as long as you put your faith in something other than God, you're never going to get the results you're looking for. And what we've done is put our faith in a man, in a ritual, in a tradition, in a building, 
and not in God. So we come thinking that the church is going to be hocus pocus. That if I come and sit in the pew, somehow God's going to see me and, ooh, something miraculous is going to happen. If I run down to the altar, then, oh, that's where my healing's going to come from. If somebody pull the oil on my head, then somehow I'm going to get delivered. But you're not believing in God. You're believing in the things. He wants you to trust him. That if you're standing in the middle of your bedroom by yourself, that you call on him. And that's where your deliverance comes from. We don't really need all the other antics to get to God. It says, in that very instance, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus down the road. If we come correct to Christ, humbled, repentant, we can receive sight and healing instantly. Why does it take us so long to get delivered? When we know he can do it instantly, but we prefer the long route. We prefer to be in anguish and to be traumatized and go over the same mess over and over and over again, just because we've refused to believe in Christ. And that's all it is. He said, it's your faith that healed you and saved you. We have no faith. This is why we're stuck. But who wants to stand up and say, I don't have faith? Everybody want to act like they're so believing. We don't believe the man. Hmm. We must follow the order that God has laid out. Remember, it is we who must do the changing. It is we who must surrender and passionately pursue Christ. How much passion is in your pursuit? Will you throw off your coat to get to Christ? Will you remove your defenses, what you think is your protection, the thing that keeps you hidden from the world to run to Christ? Will you strip it down? Remember, Christ didn't even ask him to do this. But he knew that he needed to get to him and that his coat would block the way. That my coat would make me go a little slower than I would want to go. Think about a boxer. They come in there with just a pair of shorts on. We trying to do this fight fully robed. We got a couple of layers. We didn't put on the, the undershirt and the t-shirt and then we put the sweater on. We put another jacket on and then the overcoat. And we think we can fight. We got to strip down to be able to fight. We carrying too much. And oftentimes we think too much of our basic sins that are weighing us down. Now they weigh us down too, don't get me wrong. But once we can get where we can have a hold on them and get them under control, there's so much other stuff that stops us from meeting Christ. It is the stuff that we really don't want to deal with. We would actually rather deal with the behavioral sins and stop sexing and drinking and lying and stealing. We can handle that, okay. I can maybe get that together most of the time. But the deep stuff, my insecurities, my shame, the stuff that blocks me from believing, that's the stuff we hold on to. Like God ain't gonna want us to chip that away. And he's like, that you gotta get rid of too. You can't just hold on to that and think you can meet me because all that blocks you from believing me. All that blocks you from having faith. It's faith that is required to please God. We quote it, but we don't really believe it. 
Is your sight worth losing your coat? So the next character, we're going to look at Zacchaeus. Now note that this happened all in one day, the blind man in the Zacchaeus story. The crowd had grown because they had heard that the blind men had received their sight. So it was more and more people coming. And I love how Jesus touches one and just moves to the next one to touch. Like he's in pursuit of us. He's like, okay, who else is looking for me? Who else is chasing after me? All right, I can touch that one, then I'm going to go to that one, I'm going to go to that one, I'm going to go to that one. And we wonder why he just jumps over folks. It's jumping over you because you're not passionate. You don't really want them. And since we don't like being around people that don't really want us, he kind of the same. You don't really want me. I do really want you, but you're going to have to come and prove yourself to me. There's going to have to be some exchange here. You know, I think sometimes we forget how much he's done already. Not like he hasn't proven himself. Like he hasn't shown us the way. So it's not like we can say, well, dang, I'm trying. <sighs> Count up your tries to what he's done. Then let's see if they can even be, you know, close to being evaluated together. Won't happen. So look at Luke 19 and 1. It says, Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there, his name Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man, couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in the sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with the crook? Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. And Jesus says, Today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Again, we see a man born into a condition that he had no ability to change. He was short, and his height prohibited him from seeing Christ. Since the crowd was large, if he would have played victim to his role, none of the rest of the text would have happened. He would have just been a short man, said, I can't see. The people were blocking me. Oh, well, I guess Jesus doesn't love me. He could have made me a little taller. This is the stuff we do. We, you know, he could have changed this. Wish that wasn't my mama. You know, shoot, that doggone daddy. You know, I've been poor. I've been sick. I got all this stuff. And we say, well, if God really loved me, if God really cared, he would have removed that stuff because he knew it would be a hindrance. But we see with the blind man, blind wasn't a hindrance. Still wanted to find a Jesus. Short, let me just skip a little quicker above the crowd and climb up in the tree. Hmm. The key to him climbing the tree was that he was desperate. 
to see Christ. He didn't even expect him to notice him. He didn't even really have much expectation. Just figured if I see the man, something may happen with me. What trees do you need to climb to get a clearer glimpse of Christ? What do you need to get above so that you can start seeing Jesus above the crowd? We got too much stuff in our way and it's blocking us from seeing the true God. And we let our focus and our vision go through other people instead of just having clarity that is Jesus. Some of us stay at the bottom and get trampled because we're too lazy to climb the tree. We figure it's not quite worth it. John 5 and 39 says, you search the scriptures, for you believe they give you eternal life. And the scriptures point to me, 40. Yet you won't come to me so that I can give you this eternal life. So what we've done is just created, let me read the Bible. You know, feel good. Written the scriptures for the day. Pray a little prayer at night. Maybe one in the morning too. Made me feel good. Sing a little Jesus song. Feel like I met him. Feel like I didn't found eternal life. But he says, you won't come to me. We're putting the stuff above the man. You reading scriptures alone ain't gonna do nothing for you. If you don't go to Jesus, the scriptures don't mean nothing because he is the scriptures. You can't avoid him. You can't think, oh, I'm going to pray. You don't even believe who you're praying to. Why do you think your prayers ain't being answered? You just say in Jesus' name because you feel like you're supposed to. But you don't even have faith to believe that that name will grant you what you ask for. Because so much stuff has happened that you've now just become disbelieving. And instead of putting the blame on people, you've put it on God. Because you can't see him. You figure, why not blame him? You figure he said he orchestrated our lives. And why our lives look like this? I mean, what kind of God is this? But will you allow your conditions to be the only view you see God through? Or will you let these conditions cause you to jump over and get more desperate? Because maybe he put them there to breed some desperation in you. Instead, we played the victim. We working with the devil. Hmm. Jesus is the only source that can give us what we so desperately need, yet we fail to go to him directly. Keep talking to other people. Can you pray for me? No, pray for yourself. Can you go pray and talk to Jesus? Do you have enough to believe that he will talk back to you? We use churchiness, rituals, traditions, instead of just finding Christ and what he has outlined for us to do. The Bible is very simple, it's very clear. He has put this out there for everyone to be able to obtain. You don't have to be so extra smart. You don't have to be so extra gifted. You can be kind of dumb and a little bit illiterate and figure this thing out because he made it that simple. 
He didn't want to try to confuse us. For some reason, we just keep getting confused. I think some of it's by choice to give us a little way out. Nice excuse. Oh, what does that mean? Get a dictionary and figure the words out. You figure everything else out. And the thing is, we're not really stupid people. I mean, why are we as smart as we are being this ignorant? We could choose different. So back to the story. So now think about how amazed Zacchaeus had to be when Jesus called his name and said, come down. And not only come down, but I'm going to stay at your house tonight. I'm just saying hi to you and walking by. I'm going to come and just chill with your house with you. The thief. You. All these other people running around, probably trying to be the Jesus people. But you. I like you, thief. I want to stay at your home. You remember the prayer that Paul prays? This is Ephesians 3 and 17. It says, and I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living with you as you trust in him. At home in your hearts. Sitting there chilled with you at home in your heart. This was, this was Paul's prayer for his people. It wasn't that you do all this extra stuff, but that you get to the place where Christ feels comfy in your heart. Where you no longer just keep them in one little room, but you let them explore all of you. As you trust in him, trust is required for him to be able to abide. I mean, we don't really let untrustworthy folks stay at our home. You're not opening your door to just the man on the street. You know, you barely even let him have a glass of water if he's thirsty. But we think God's supposed to just come break the door down, take over. Don't happen that way. He ain't that kind of God. He says, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. How can your roots go down deep in God's love when you don't know him? When you don't know what his love is like, when you haven't explored what it is for him to love you, that you haven't felt that perfect love cast out fear, when you don't know this kind of love from the beginning of times, how can your roots go down in there? And we wonder why we don't prosper and that we're not this tree that just keeps growing, <clears throat> excuse me, and thriving with all this fruit because we have very shallow roots. All our roots just sit on the top surface. And they have nowhere to go. So they just go across instead of going down deep. So we're just looking for somebody to love us. Any old thing. Any old body. We buying it. We selling ourselves for it. We doing everything possible for somebody to love us. When all, God, all you got to do is dig deep into his love, then what you got? You got an amazing tree. He goes on to say, and may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long and how wide and how deep and how high his love really is. To understand it. And to experience this love for yourselves Though it's so great, 
you will never see the end of it or fully understand it. And so at last, thank you, sweetie, you will be filled up with God himself. Paul's prayer was that we be filled with God. Nothing else but him. May you get to know him, understand him, and then get filled with him. How could we go wrong being filled with God? How could we miss God if we're full of him? Our paths would be so directed. Everything would be so clear if we just want him. Now the crowds are mad because Christ chose him. If you're God chosen, everyone will not agree with God's choice. But do you think that bothered Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was like, hey, I know I'm a thief. I know I ain't no good, but I'm gonna take this divine visitation and I'm gonna run with it. I don't know why he called me and why he wouldn't come to my house, but I'm going with it. But watch what happens as soon as he speaks, speaks to Christ. Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Like the blind man, he took off what was weighing him down. Christ didn't have to ask him to do so, but the mere presence of God made him desire to be clean before the Lord. When you are full of sin and weights and you can come where you think his presence is and you stay the same, either you have gotten so bad that God's presence can't provoke you or God's presence just ain't there. Because God's presence automatically makes you look in the mirror and say, what do I need to take off? So we got to be careful when we think God is somewhere and I can walk out the same way I walked in. Every time I meet God, something needs to be discarded. Every time I come in his presence, something has to be taken off. If I can just walk in and be like, oh, that was a good service. And I just go back doing what I was doing. I didn't meet him. He wasn't there. Jesus says today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost, and that day salvation was granted to him. The Living Bible says this shows that salvation has come to his house. The fact that he would take off his stuff, confess his sin so quickly, just at, at first talking to Jesus. Now some of us been supposedly walking with the man for years. He didn't put his essence in us. We got the nerve to be speaking in tongues. Then went down in the water, supposedly, in the good name of Jesus. And we ain't changed nothing. How is it that this man can just have a quick chat and immediately go into repentance? What's wrong with us that we can stay so stubborn and arrogant? that we don't think we need to change. That God's supposed to just take us as we are and be happy that we came? We meeting the wrong man. Hmm. We cannot profess that Christ is living in us when we refuse to change. We desire, at least I hope we desire, for Christ to come and abide in us. 
but we miss it because we refuse to get passionate enough to meet Christ and then discard the stuff that is required. See, we want to meet him, say hi, get to know him, feel his presence. I don't really want to discard nothing, though. Can't we just feel good? And this is what surfaces have become, a feel-good session. Come in, feel good, feel like, oh, the Jesus was there, he touched me. But I don't want to discard anything. I want to hold on to who I am. I want to keep my stuff. I want to stay broken, because you know what? I've been broken for so long, broken starting to feel pretty good to me. I've been depressed and sad for so long that that's just what I know. I didn't forgot what happiness was. So I get stuck here, week in, week out, coming in, coming out, going to services, different churches, doing this, listening to stuff on the radio, watching TV, and nothing has changed me. Because I haven't met him. Christ states that this is why I came, to find and restore the lost. It is a shame that we stay lost. You know, we got to get off of just feeling like we got the initial salvation and that was enough. And that means that we're no longer lost. We're just as lost and blind and impoverished as the person that hasn't even come in and had the initial sign. But we get arrogant and we get proud and we think we've done something because we think we know Jesus. <sighs> His total mission was to find me and save me. Everything he orchestrated, everything, was to find me and to save me. And I say, I don't want your salvation. I don't want to be found. Touch me when I want you to touch me. Give me my blessings, the blessings I asked for, then get to going. I like my lost state. Darkness feels good. Both are required to change or to meet God, excuse me, is change and passion. I must pursue him and I must change. Otherwise, God's not gonna quite stay home with you. My last note is nothing takes God by surprise. Whenever you meet God, it was divinely orchestrated from the very beginning. Think of the blind men. God orchestrated for his route to cross at the exact time these men would be standing there. Now you know these men begged at different places. Because a beggar knows you can't stay in one place and expect to get nothing. But he designed that. He designed that. For the, at that moment they would be there, and that's where I'm gonna cross. He allowed their blindness to make them desperate enough to shout out for a true healing. For Zacchaeus, Christ orchestrated for that tree to be planted and be full grown at that moment in time. Now, who planted that tree? That it would be full grown, tall enough for him to climb it and get up there to see Jesus. Divine orchestration. How have the things that look like affirmities caused you to be able to get a visitation from Christ? What afflictions do you have now that can be used to fuel your desperation to get to Christ? Will you get desperate and have faith to believe that the presence of Christ can change you instantly? 
Once we have been saved, we cannot stop there. This salvation and sanctification must be progressive. We are supposed to get more desperate, more eager, and more earnest for God. The opposite happens. When we first get it, we're like, whoa, wow, this is exciting. Wow, Jesus can do this. We start believing, we have faith. We get obstacles. We no longer want the man. We are to seek him more and more and evolve to a deeper relationship with him. Matthew 11 and 12 says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And we quote this, but I wonder if we really know what it means. One commentator said, He that will take and get possession of the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and spiritual joy must be in earnest. All hell will oppose him in every step he takes. And if a man be not absolutely determined and give up his sins and evil companions and have his soul saved at all hazards and at every expense, he will surely perish everlastingly. This requires a violent earnestness. How violent will you get to get the kingdom? Another commentator says this violence denotes a strength and a vigor, an earnestness of desire and endeavor. It shows us also with fervency and zeal are required of all those who design to make heaven of their religion. They who would enter into the kingdom of heaven must strive to enter. You're not getting there passively. The kingdom suffers a holy violence. Self must be denied. The bent and bias, the frame and temper of the mind must be altered. There are hard sufferings to be undergone a force to be put upon, the corrupt nature. We must run and wrestle and fight and be in agony to win such a prize and to get over such opposition from without and from within. So the violent must take it by force. They who will have an interest in the great salvation are carried out towards it with a strong desire, will have it upon any terms and not think them hard nor quit their hold without a blessing. Think of Jacob when he said, I'm not gonna let go until you bless my soul. They who will make their calling and election sure must give diligence. The kingdom of heaven was never intended to indulge the ease of triflers, but to be the breast to them that labor. We want the rest, but we don't want the labor. We like, where's my rest when I get to lay down? When Jesus gonna give me the peace? You ain't fought yet. And lastly, Jeremiah 29 and 12. It says in those days when you pray, I will listen. You will find me when you seek me. Seek me means to investigate, to pursue, to run after, to search for to chase and track down. Are we putting that much effort to seek Christ? Just be honest about yourself. You know, the Lord likes honesty. We need to repent that, Lord, I haven't sought you. I don't seek you. I want you to seek me. But I ain't looking after you. I ain't done one investigation. He says, if you look for me in earnest, Earnest means passionately, 
devoted, hunger, sincere, determined, purposeful, eager, and deliberately. That's when you're going to find me. That's why we ain't found him. Without these attributes, you will not find him. These attributes are what, God, what got God's attention and caused him to heal the men. The reason why we're not healed is because we're not chasing after him. He really wants to be sought. He chased us to get us into the kingdom. Now the chase is on us. Are you willing to stand in the road and scream for your help until Christ hears you and grants you sight? Are you willing to climb the tree that has been planted long before your time of need so that you can see Christ over the crowd? What will you do to show God how desperate you are? You can't just say, Lord, I'm desperate. Come to my aid. He like, you stop lying. <laughs> and when does your, when does he, uh, 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 excuse me. And when he does call your name, will you discard the sins and the weights that hold you down? So how much passion do you have in your pursuit to God? Will you be violent and take the kingdom by force? You got to fight for yours. Because no, somebody's fighting. And they're going to get the kingdom. And I'm going to be one of them. Because, you know, foot. Ain't no sense in me missing all this. Can you truly say that you just want God? Just him. Forget all the extra stuff. The stuff that you think, you know, okay, I can get the blessing. I can get him to take care of me. I can get him to do this. But just want him. You know, sometimes you don't want to be sought just for what you can provide. You know, who wants that? I only want to be your friend because you can pay for me. You know, I'm only going out to dinner with you because you're buying it. Well, you know, foot to stay on. And I really think that at some time God is feeling like, y'all don't really want me, you just want what I can give. So, I mean, dang. I mean, you would be offended. You would keep that person around for just a short period of time if you figured out all their motive was, was to get your stuff. But we think God, you know, we didn't tricking him. But I came to service. I did pray. I stopped lying yesterday. <laughs> but the song that says, you know, I just want you. I want to live in your presence. Like, you never leave me, and I know that you never leave me. And that I will lay down my will. Like, no longer will it be about me, but it will be all about you and every selfish desire. See, we got to pause for a moment. <laughs> can I give up every selfish desire? And to say whatever it takes, whatever you tell me I have to do, I will do it because I just want you. When will we get to that point? And when we get to that point, we will see the miracles of God. We will see him doing so much more than we ever thought he was able to do. But you must be passionate. You must fight for it. You must become violent and take it by force. 